you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Ephesians. We have been walking through the book of Ephesians, a letter that is, uh, you know, coming up on 2,000 years old, uh, written in about AD 60, probably during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And this, it was this circulating letter, this letter that was meant to go out and to maybe land at first in Ephesus, but then to circulate around to the churches of the seven churches region, particularly as we might have read or you might have read in the book of Revelation, those seven churches of Revelation, those seven churches formed essentially this kind of regional trade route. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, the city of Colossae is right next to Laodicea. So those are all, the, this letter is meant to circulate to those to that region and to those churches, those cities. And the other thing about the book of Ephesians is it is just a great digest of Paul's understanding of salvation. A lot of times we think about the book of Romans as his, his, the digest, but Romans is actually a little bit inaccessible at times. It's a little tough. But Ephesians is this very accessible Short, I love short books. Like if you ever, rec- always recommend a short book. Those are great books. Little books that are, that are short, six chapters, very accessible. And it's a great digest of Paul's thought about the nature of salvation. That salvation is God's rescue from, gra- or rescue from danger. And that salvation is by grace, through faith, and has this byproduct of good works. That if you're, if you're experiencing salvation, it's by grace and through faith, and what happens is that the good works pop out, that good works come out. You know when, when you're operating well that byproducts come out. It might not be, you might not be aiming at the byproducts, you're aiming at the grace. But what ends up happening is that good works come out, and this idea of a reconciliation to the Father by means of the work of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit, which begins to transform us in the here and now while we anticipate one day God will make all things right. That salvation is not just about the future, it's about what's happening currently in our lives. And Ephesians, even as it is about this digest of salvation, this this rescue from danger that God provides, Ephesians is also a bold announcement and a reminder for many, but an announcement that this salvation is not only available to the home team, right? That salvation is also available for the visiting team. That it's not just for the Jewish believers who had Abraham as their father and and had the law and the prophets and had the covenants and had the advantages of the revelation of God that Paul is going to say that salvation is not just for those who are near, the home team, that salvation by grace through faith is for the visitors, for those who are far off, for those who you wouldn't even think would respond positively to the gospel. That salvation is meant to be proclaimed not just to those who are near, but to those who are far off. As Paul puts it in 2.12, this has been a, a, a phrase that has been kind of in my mind, just kicking around in my mind, where he talks about those who have no hope and are without God in the world. Paul says that's exactly who needs to know about God's saving power. The hopeless and godless in this world 
is exactly who needs to hear that God has sent his son and that God's saving power is available in Jesus. So Paul today, in our passage today that Sarah read for us, Paul today will continue on this theme of availability, this availability of salvation, and not just to those who are near, but to those who are far off. And last week I asked you to imagine somebody who fit that description, hopeless and godless in this world. And even as I say that to you this morning, there's probably someone who comes to mind or a type of person that comes to mind. And what we're saying here and what Paul is saying is that is the person that needs to hear a proclamation that God has open arms and that faith is available and that all you need to do is turn towards God in faith and God will rush in with open arms, that he will come running with mercy in his eyes. God who is rich in mercy, that God will come, that someone like that is someone that God is looking for. And we were all as Paul said in chapter 2, like, we were all that person. We were, you were all dead in your trans, trans, trespasses and sins. And that is when God said, I want to make you alive. Not when you had something to offer him. Not when I ha- look great. Like, it's like when you wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning, right? Right? That's when God is saying, I love you. You look horrible, but I love you, right? That's when God, that's the, po- that's the place. It's in... It's not, on your, it's not in your best moment that God is saying, oh, I want that person. It's in your worst moment. It's in the moment of shame. It's in the moment of failure, and that's when God says, you who are far off, I'm coming for you. And this is what Ephesians is about. This is what he, I'm, I mean, this is awesome, isn't it? We should just dismiss, like, just reflect on that. That's so good, right? This is what Ephesians is trying to do. And so the problem with this is um, this theme of availability and what Paul is going to make mention of and make note of here is that this availability of salvation, not just to those who are near but to those who are far off, um, this is not something that is intuitively known to us. This is not something that we come out of the womb and we're like, I just want to love everybody. Like, this is not something in our human condition, our default human condition, that just naturally comes out. What Paul is going to say in this passage is it has to be revealed, and we have to adjust to it. And as we adjust to it, we find that God is in it in a way that we would not intuitively pick on our own. So I want to make some observations. You guys with me this morning? All right, you open to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to walk through this passage and then just see what God has for it has for us today. We've already prayed, Lord, here I am. Lord, here I am. And we just, we, 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 we anticipate that God will uh, attend to that prayer and that he will communicate to us what we need to hear from this passage today. So this idea of the availability of salvation, Paul calls a mystery. Look at 3.1. In 3.1 it says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Now, here's a couple things. We've got to get a little bit in the Wayback Machine in order to understand what Paul is meaning by mystery. Because in our world today, when I talk about something, that's a mystery, okay? Um, It's something usually that is like, it's unknown and unknowable. 
So our second son, Eli, um, we, we love, Eli's awesome, um, and, uh, but when he was young, he was not, like, our oldest was very much, he talked a lot, right? How many of you guys have kids that, that talk a lot? But some of you guys have kids that don't talk at all, right? And like, yeah, anybody have that? And you're like, you try to get things out of them. And we had this phrase, we, we had this phrase, because Eli didn't talk a lot when he, was, when he was young. Now, you know, he's saying a lot. But, um, but when, when he was young, we had this phrase, um, who can know the mind of Eli? Who can know? And it was like this idea that whatever was on Eli's mind, it was unknowable. It was a mystery. And, and we were just going to accept that it was a mystery. And that's kind of the way we use the term mystery today. Like if we say, well, that's mysterious. It means that, we'll never, that we're not going to know about that. But that's not the way that Paul uses the term mystery. It's not, it's not kind of the Jewish way of understanding a mystery. A mystery, it is something that's shrouded, but a mystery in, in Jewish thought is a mystery is something that God, that only God can reveal it, but God wants to reveal it. It's a mystery. It's a hidden truth. It's something that is, is shrouded but that God wants to lift the shroud and push it front and center. And that this idea that what, what Paul has been talking about, the gospel, has been a mystery. It's been something that's been shrouded, this availability of salvation. It's not intuitive. It, it's a mystery. It's been hidden. But now God says, I want to push it front and center so that everyone can know. It's more like a murder mystery or like a mystery novel, like a whodunit. You read the book, and it's, it's all shrouded mystery, but at the end, they're like, and it was the butler, you know, and like, whoa, you're like, what, mind blown, right? That's the idea of, a, of the mystery that Paul is talking about here. It's a hidden truth that is waiting to be revealed. So Paul says that this mystery, this hidden truth, is made known to him by revelation. Look at verse 4 says, when you read this, you can perceive of my insight into the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Messiah, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what Paul is saying is that in ages past, that this was, not, this was not something that was readily known, but that God now, at this time, because Jesus has come, that Jesus is going to lift the veil and push, push this, this hidden truth out to front and center. And what is this hidden truth? Look at verse 6. And this mystery is that the Gentiles, the nations, the goyim, are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That the nations, the goyim, those who are far off, that they are also now heirs, meaning that they are also adopted in the same family, their sons and daughters, their brothers and sisters, with those who are near, they're members of the same body, they participate in the same promises as those who have come before them because of Messiah Jesus through the good news. And I suppose I just want, I want to reiterate this as we think about this mystery, that this mystery that was hidden in ages past, you wonder like, why wasn't this why wasn't this known? This seems like, like, probably today you're like, well, this seems like kind of no duh, right? 
This seems like I've been hearing this my whole life as a believer. This is, of course, true. But at the time, this, and, and one thing we need to understand is this is not an intuitive truth that we know. That God's rescue from danger should be proclaimed to and available to everyone who would turn to him in faith. It's not intuitive. It had to be revealed. And I would even say this, it continues to need to be revealed to myself and to us today. And there's a couple reasons why it continues to need to be revealed. Because we are not born with this all-inclusive sensibility. We talked about this. When you come out of the womb, you're not just open arms. When you're a young kid, you don't have an all-inclusive love for everybody. You've got your, your friends. And maybe you're not as open to other friends. Or maybe even as you grow into, you go to youth group and maybe you're, you know, you've been in, you, when you were a, 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 in, in youth group, maybe it was a little cliquish. Or maybe even here at church, maybe you feel like, look, it's hard to break into a new group. Right? That we don't always, we like the people who are like ourselves that we know. Right? So this idea that there's this all-inclusivity of the gospel is not something that is in, in our fallen nature, this is not an intuitive truth. And just hearing it does not mean that we've embraced it. And myself included. This, and it's, again, this is something that I think on this side of heaven, we're always going to have to tune. Like uh, in, in this idea that um, uh, we sang, uh, Come Thou Fount, of every blessing. What's the second line? Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Like the grace of God is not an intuitive thing that we naturally embrace. God has to come in and tune our hearts to offer, offer that grace and to bring those who are far off near. We like those who are near. We like who's around us. I like my friends. God does a special work to move us outside of our comfortable groups. He does a special movement in us to move us toward those. I mean, it says God justifies the ungodly. You probably don't move naturally toward the ungodly. You're like, look, I'm a, I'm a believer, Pastor Craig, and I'm not going to corrupt myself with the likes of those people, right? And we, we kind of are born... Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not calling anybody out because just look around in the world. We have this sense of gravitating towards an us versus them mentality. Now, whether you look at it on a geopolitical level, or you look at it just on a political level, or you look at it as a personal level, even among other believers, there's often times where even churches and denominations, we look at us versus them. And we oftentimes fall into those categories. And look, I'm not saying that that language is not sometimes helpful, okay? It is sometimes helpful, but it's also our default. And that kind of language is the same language that when Paul talks earlier about what Jesus has come as he's come to, divide, to knock down the dividing wall of hostility. Like the dividing wall of hostility gets erected because of that us versus them intuition that is part of, really part of our flesh. The reason why Jews and Gentiles were like, well, we're the circumcision and you're the uncircumcision, that was in the flesh. And so this idea that we, we do guard against this idea that, look, there might be, you might like the people who are like you, but you might not like the people who are not like you. 
whether that involves Jesus or not. And so this idea of what, God, what, what Paul is saying here is that, look, God has a mystery. He's going to reveal this mystery. And that mystery is that all the people who are not like you, they get the gospel. They get to hear the gospel. That's the mystery. You don't have to be like you in order to be saved, to experience God's salvation, to experience an offer of God's salvation. You don't have to be like you. They don't have to be like you in order for God to reach out to them. Those who are far off, as we said, this mystery, this hidden truth, the Gentiles are part of this, that God needs to tune our hearts. Some are far off, some are in, some are out, but all deserve proclamation that God saves by grace and through faith. And for Paul, this is the mystery that needs to be made known. This is the truth, the hidden truth, that now, after all these ages, is brought out into the forefront. Now, for Paul, for Paul, as we look at our passage, what is the proper response to God lifting the veil, pushing out this truth, this hidden truth, now being made available because Jesus has come? What is the proper response to that truth? And for Paul, the response to that truth is to ask what do you want me to do about it, Lord? What do you want me to do about it? Listen to what he says. When, when Paul sees, what he, what, what he says is he says whenever God reveals something, that is an act of grace. Whenever God reveals something that is hidden, because we would never be able to see it before, it's an act of grace. And so what Paul says is that this, this gracious act of God, God didn't have to reveal this, but when God does reveal something, it's an act of grace. And when God gives a gift of grace, the Apostle Paul says, sees it as his responsibility to be a steward of that grace. Look again at 3.1. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, we're reading out of the ESV, but probably some of you might have the NIV which, uh, that says, that calls it the administration of God's grace that was given to me. The New Revised Standard says it's the commission of God's grace given to me. One of the things that is awesome when you're doing your own Bible study personally, sometimes if you put translations next to each other, they might all say the same thing, and you're just like, yeah, they're saying basically the same thing, but then there'll be one word where nobody knows how to translate it, Right? This is, and then you know you've got, you don't need to know Greek in order to know that there's something sexy there. I mean, it's not sexy, but I mean, something juicy, I guess, something, something that's, that's there. I, I, maybe my Bible study is a little different uh, in that way. Okay, hang, hang on with me. Um, the word here, the word here um, is, is a word that's used, uh, it's used of the, the, a manager of an estate, not somebody who owns the estate, but if you own the estate, you would hire someone in your household, to manage the estate. And that they would be the person who would tell people, you go there, you go there, you pay this person. You, basically, all the, the wealth of the estate, you would distribute that. And so, this idea that Paul says, I have been given the responsibility of the management of God's grace. Just think about that. I have been given the responsibility of the management of God's grace. The Common English Bible says it well. It says, um, Paul says, 
I have been given the responsibility to distribute God's grace. The responsibility to distribute God's grace. Look at verse 7, 3-7. He goes on to say, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. That word, a minister, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Um, the word diakonos was simply, this is simply the idea of being an agent, a courier, or an assistant. That Paul is essentially saying, look, I was, I was made an assistant, God's assistant, because of his grace that was poured out in my life. I was simply made, I wasn't made anything fancy, I was just made an assistant to distribute God's grace. Now that this has been made known, what am I going to do? I'm going to be the assistant, I'm going to be the courier, I'm going to be the one who's responsible to distribute God's grace. And I guess just the question that, for, for this morning, kind of the major, major question that I just want us to reflect on is, have you thought about yourself that way? Do I think about myself that way on a daily basis, that God has enlisted me to simply be a distributor? Someone who manages God's grace as it goes out. That this mystery has been revealed that those who are near and those who are far off receive the grace of God, that God's arms are wide open. And that there's simply the sense of distributing God's grace. And that, obviously that, what I think for Paul, he's like, I'm going to preach the, the good news. But there's also the sense of just the day-to-day activity of just giving a sense of grace to the people around you taking off the criticalness or taking off the, the, the sharp edges and just saying, I'm going to give the grace of God to the people around me and to those that I don't particularly care for. Someone that God has given grace to, have you thought of yourself this way? Someone that God has given grace to, who he has asked to partner with him, as an assistant to distribute grace to those who are far off. Let me say that again. Have you thought of yourself as someone that God has given grace to, who he has asked to partner with as an assistant to distribute God's grace to those who are far off? And I think this is important because, like I said, when we come out of the womb, again, and I we, I, I did a podcast on sinful nature and whatnot, and you're, if you're in the weeds, you can listen to that. Okay. But um, we don't come out of the womb with the sense of understanding God's grace. We, like we said, we have to tune our hearts to, to sing God's grace, that God has to do that work in us. And as we work through this, and as we think about this, that um, most people don't have an intuitive sense of God's grace. When they, when they think of God, when they think of God, and it's, it's interesting because we, we had our men's group, and when I think about men in particular, um, when you think about uh, God, maybe the first thing I find that with most, most men, and maybe with most people, when you think about God, the first image that might come to mind is like God is like a cop behind a billboard with a radar gun, and like he's just looking for you to go like one mile an hour over the speed limit, and then he's like, bing, you know, like, woo, and that's what God is like, and like to tell somebody, you should go spend some time with God, it's like, why would I want to do that, right? Like God's just looking to ding me on something. And that sometimes, 
in, in especially, now we here at church, you might say, no, that's not the way I think about God. But think about the broader world, those who are far off, how do they think about God? And this idea of being an administrator of the grace of God is also just to represent God in the world. And to say like, hey, I don't think that's the best way to think about God. As a matter of fact, I think here's a great story about God. You tell the story of the prodigal son that God will run after any, any errant son who's gone away and made all kinds of mistakes. That That's more the image of what God is like. That's being a steward of God's grace. That sometimes, and maybe for you, you're not like this, but those who are far off, maybe this is what they think when bad things happen to them. They think, why is God punishing me? They might forget about the blessings of God, but God only comes to mind when something bad happens to them. And that's when someone who knows God and knows that God is good and that God can redeem any bad thing that happens and certainly will, will grieve with them, but knows that God can redeem the horrible shame that has happened to people to say, God is not like that. God is not visiting this. God, is, God wants to bless you. God wants to open his arms to you. God wants to comfort you. God sent his son to experience so much shame so that we would not have to because you're an administrator of God's grace. You're a distributor of God's grace to those who are far off. And the apostle Paul said, hey, I I understand that people out there, they have a misunderstanding about God. And my job, my job is simply to be God's assistant and God's representative. And when somebody else is out there and they're saying something about God, I would say, hey, I don't think that is necessarily the right way to think about God. I think rather it might be better to think about it this way. This passage says this. Jesus said this. Jesus offers a different vision of what God might be like. To be a steward of God's grace. A distributor. Ephesians 3.8 To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. To think about what Paul is saying, like God is revealing this, God's bringing this front and center, and he's saying, what's my role? I'm just gonna be an assistant. God's got this plan, and I'm just going to be an assistant. I'm just going to be a distributor. I'm just going to be an administrator. God has riches, and he just says, hey, I want you to distribute the riches. I just want you to be the manager. You're not, <laughs> I don't want you to set the vision. I just want you to be the manager. And that, the management of that is you're just going to be a distributor because there's so much riches here. The riches of the mystery of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Messiah. Paul wants to bring it to light that the Jewish people, the Gentile nations are both reconciled to God by means of God's grace through faith. Those who are near are offered a gracious response of rescue from danger through faith, turning to God. Those who are near, everybody in this room, the home team, but everybody else, everybody outside these walls, within a 10-mile radius, obviously for us, you think about a 10-mile radius, but for God, he's like, how, how wide can you get that radius, right? How wide can you get that radius? 
just, just distribute my grace. Those who are far off are offered the same gracious rescue from danger. And the same gracious offer, all you need to do is turn and face me in trust. It's faith. To trust God and entrust yourself to him, to turn toward him. The fundamental question about our lives, is your life fundamentally directed toward God or is it fundamentally directed away from God? That's faith. That's That's the primary question of faith. Is your life directed towards God? And to simply maybe ask that question to people that are out there. And the idea of what Paul says is that once we do this, that both Jewish people and Gentile nations come near, even if they're far off, this creates, this creates kind of a weird new community, doesn't it? You guys ever been to the DMV? DMV. Come on, DMV. Everybody, please. Right? The DMV is a little bit of a weird place, is it not? A lot of characters at the DMV. And the one thing that brings everybody together at the DMV they need to renew, they need to do something. They need a new license, they need to renew their registration. Something went wrong that they couldn't do online, so now they're at the DMV, right? You've been there, I would imagine. And you're all waiting in line and you're like, I don't know a single person in here and these are not my people, right? You're you're like, you're at the DMV, okay? Now here's the thing, the, the beautiful thing about what the Apostle Paul offers here is that this new community is gonna be like the DMV. Yes. This new community is going to be people who have nothing else in common. They're, 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 they're not of the same ethnicity. They don't eat the same food. They don't have the same sensibilities. But for some reason, they're gathered. And it's not because of their place in society, whether they're a, whether they're a slave or free or male or female or Jew or Gentile. The one thing that gathers them, there there should be no reason why everybody in this room ought to be in this room. There are some people in here, I have no business knowing who you are. We have nothing else in common. But we both believe that Jesus is king. And that becomes the gravitational center that draws us together. Even if we have nothing else in common, nothing else in common, that that one thing has enough gravitational pull when everything else is trying to rip everybody apart. That one thing has enough gravitational pull to keep the church together. And when we hear about churches that, that are splintering or a world that's splintering, it's always around secondary things. Are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? What's your ethnicity? Like, if you, you, you got to be part of this group if you're going to be here. you got to hold this if you're going to be part of this group. Us versus them. And I, I, I just want to say, like, that's not what God thinks is going to hold together a church. Actually, it's not even what God thinks is going to hold together humanity. God is saying here, he's not, just recre- he's not just creating the church, he's creating a new humanity where there's no longer Jew and Gentile. And it's going to come under the headship of Jesus. The one thing that's going to hold everyone together is like the author of Hebrews says, if you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, 
Because once we, once we move off of that, the danger of division is there. And just, just a reminder, and we've talked about this in Ephesians, that in Ephesians we are in the world, and the world is comprised of this kind of, the, what we've been calling this, this interlocking directorate of anti-human and anti-God powers that are working against what God is trying to do, working against human thriving, that there's this interlocking director. We've got this, the fallenness of creation. We've got, we've got the prince of the power of the air, the devil and his demons. We've got the sons of disobedience. We've got human rulers. We've got humans that are, that are trying to divide you, that are actively trying to divide humanity. And those are all external forces, not to mention my own sensibilities of I don't like that person. And I'm not pointing to anybody in this section. But we have our own internal movement too. We're, we're part of that interlocking directorate of anti-human and anti-God powers. The, the fallenness, our flesh, our sinful nature, however you want to talk about it, our inclination toward sin. And even our own acts of sin separate us from even the people we love. And God says, that's not my plan. I want to bring everybody together, and I want, I want the central thing that everyone looks at to be the kingship of my son. If you say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is king, you're in. You are there. That is the thing. And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will find yourself in a room with people you have no business being in the same room with, except for the fact that you love Jesus. And that would be enough. Whatever language you speak, whatever ethnicity you are, whatever socioeconomic status you have, whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter the one thing, and this is God's plan. This is the mystery, everybody. This is what's being revealed. That, that Jesus is going to be the unifier. That Jesus is going to hold us together. I think one awesome thing about this. When the church leans into this, and when the church begins to look like the DMV, I, I, to be, I know, I know, you're like, you're like, look, Pastor Craig, like, don't do that. Don't do the DMV thing given me the hives, right? I, when I walk into a church, and I would love, one day, I would love for this church, when you walk in here, that you feel like this is like the DMV. None of these people belong together. None of these people belong together. Because at that point, I would know that there's enough gravitational pull of Jesus to hold us together, to bring people together and not just because we have a great style or that like people like each other or this is a place to belong or whatever it is, that it's Jesus and Jesus only and it's starting to gather people that you have, you think like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe it. All, that's how I'm tracking success. You're like, you're, like, you're weird. No, I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious because I, I think that the God's grace, if we're going to be dispensers of God's grace, it's going to go to those who are far off. And it's going to go against our own intuitions. And we're going to find ourselves at a men's dinner talking to people like, who would, why would I even know this person? Except my brother who loves Jesus invited this person and now we're in team, we're on a team together to dispense grace, Right? That's what the church is. That's what it is. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's, this is the awesome thing about it. Because when I, when I think about that interlocking directorate of powers, it makes me angry. Like sometimes the world makes me angry. I, don't, I might be the only person, 
my dad's mad shirt. The kids made me the dad's mad shirt. Dad's mad, right? You could be mad too. It happens. But here's what I love. Look at 3.8. It says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now listen to verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And here's the deal. When the church, when people, when the church looks like the DMV, that's an announcement to the anti-human and anti-God forces in this world that God is going to beat them, that God's going to beat them, that God is going to win because their divisions are not stronger than Jesus' gravitational pull. And the church, when the church is leaning into this, the church is making a proclamation simply by being present to the rulers and authorities in the spiritual places that God is at work creating a new humanity. That God is at work bringing together those who for all other reasons should be divided, but Jesus has brought them together. This is what the Apostle Paul, this is what is driving the Apostle Paul. This is why he's going to prison. This is why he's willing to be mistreated. This is why, this burns so deeply in him that he's like, I'm gonna give my whole life to this. I'm gonna give my life to being a manager and a steward of God's grace. I'm just gonna be a grace dispenser because I think that as these people gather, it's gonna proclaim to the, the powers and forces that I can't fight on my own. It's gonna proclaim them. It's gonna be the opening salvo in a war to say, Jesus is greater than all the powers because he's able to unify humanity. It's an announcement to the spiritual forces of this world that God's plan is happening. The manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated to dark forces that have usurped authority on this earth. It's a demonstration of those dark forces when you bring someone to hear the gospel, when you give them the gospel, when you give them grace, that is an announcement that God is winning. And this is one of the reasons why so much of the New Testament is about don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. You might not think, you might not think it's doing anything, but this is an announcement to the dark forces that the church, the church is evidence that God is at work in creating this new humanity. All right, I'm pretty pumped up this morning, so what can I say? Um, as we finish up, back to our initial question. How do you view yourself when it comes to this being a distributor of grace? What kind of grace have you been given? What kind of grace has God given you? What kind of blessings has God blessed you with? And how are you called to be a steward and reinvest that grace. How are you, how, how do you feel like this? We, we said, at the start of the service, we said, God, here I am, right? Here I am. And to simply ask the question, what do you feel like the Spirit is doing in telling you, like, where do you need to distribute grace? I think there's, there's there, and again, I can't, I'm not gonna answer that question. I think the Spirit, I, I trust that the Spirit is active in your lives, 
And so this idea, like, where do you feel like God is asking you to reinvest grace? You know, a couple ways, just, I'm not going to tell you, but I will give you a couple of opportunities, right? Um, just Easter's coming. Like, it's relentless. It's on the calendar. It's on its way. And we're going to have, we're going to have a, a children's uh, an Easter, a family Easter party, which is the weekend before Easter. Uh, we're going to have a Good Friday service. We're going to have Easter morning. We'll have an Easter breakfast. And this is a great opportunity to, um, to invite a friend. Easter is, in our culture, the amount of windows in our culture, the culturally, that people are thinking about God are closing. Those, are, those windows are closing. Um, but, but Easter is still one of those windows that is open to invite someone to church, to invite someone to a breakfast, to invite someone even to a Good Friday service, to invite someone to be part of the, the life of our body, uh, or to invite someone to a family Easter party or something like that. That window is still open culturally. I would just urge you, step into that and just ask people. Just ask, say, hey, come on out. The, 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 the window, the amount, of, the amount of guys that invited people to the men's dinner, it's like that window's open. Like tri-tip is a great window, right? open it up. And we did. And it was wonderful. It was great to meet everybody, to learn, and simply to be able to dispense a little grace. God will take care of the rest. The stewardship of grace, the distributor of God's grace, an assistant of God. That's what you are. That's what I am. And we all are. Why don't we pray? I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And we're just, gonna, we're just gonna make a little space for God to just, again, he is a revealer. This is something, this was a, a, a mystery of old, now revealed. God loves revealing things. And we're just gonna ask that God would reveal to us where we can be distributors of grace. So let's do that right now. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can sing. We thank you that we can come together. Father, we also thank you that you're re you're just kind of reconditioning us. You're reparenting us. You're teaching us new sensibilities. You're transforming us. And maybe that means that we're, we're thinking thoughts that are not intuitive to us. That those who are far off, those who are weak, those who are sinners, those who are enemies of God, those people are the people that you're reaching toward. So Father, help us. Help us to see that. Help us to, to join in, to be your assistant in that. Thank you for the faithful that have come before, the faithful Jews, the faithful Gentiles that have come before, that have really heard this. Thank you for the churches that look like the DMV. They're an announcement to the dark forces of this world that, Jesus, you can hold anyone together. Father, we pray. We pray for that same spirit here. We ask that you would reveal to each of us just where we might dispense grace this week. Father, we continue to pray for every church here in the city of Orange. We pray that every church would be full. We pray that every church would be full of people dispensing your grace because we are not the only people and we cannot do it alone and we ask that you would mobilize your people. So Father, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.